the communion service. This time we're slowly getting our liturgical acts together. And so uh, Holy Communion is just more in conformity with uh, historic practice. And so it's a little simpler for you all um, as well. So just take note of that, that there's uh, the, the Sanctus and the uh, Prayer of Holy Access are under two parts of the and the eating and drinking are the, the Christ have put on Christ. 
Let's stand and sing Psalm 110. Sing all together. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand Until I make thine enemies thy footstool The Lord shall send the rod of thy power out of Zion be thou ruler even in the midst among thine enemies. In the day of thy power shall the people offer thee free will offerings with a holy worship. The dew of thy birth is of the womb of the morning. The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord upon thy right hand shall wound even kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies, and smite in sunder the heads of their divers countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way, therefore shall he lift his head. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. You may be seated. O God, who on the mount didst reveal the chosen witnesses, thine only begotten Son, wonderfully transfigured in raiment white and glistening, mercifully grant that we, being delivered from the disquietude of this world, may be permitted to behold the King in his beauty, who with thee, O Father, and thee, O Holy Ghost, liveth and reigneth one God, world without end. Amen. Our Old Testament reading for Transfiguration Sunday is found in Exodus 34. Exodus 34, verses 29 through 35. Chapter 34, verses 29 through 35. Hear the word of the Lord. As Moses descended from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands as he descended the mountain, he did not realize that the skin of his face shone as a result of his speaking with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face shone. They were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community returned to him. And Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near. And he commanded them to do everything the Lord had told him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. After he came out, he would tell the Israelites what had been commanded. And the Israelites would see that Moses' face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went to speak with the Lord. The word of the Lord. Our epistle reading comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, 
verses 16 through 21, 2 Peter chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord. For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father. When the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven, while we were with him on the holy mountain. We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you know this, no prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. Let's stand and sing hymn number 295, Crown Him with Many Crowns. Number 295. Oh, 
seated. and confess what the scriptures have taught us to believe in the Nicene Creed. <clears throat> we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life in the world to come. Amen. You may be seated. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, the celebration of the transfiguration of Jesus comes at the end of the Epiphany season. It is the climactic moment of Epiphany, a final revealing of who Jesus is. Transfiguration culminates the works done by Christ prior to his crucifixion. Before preparing for the crucifixion and the resurrection, he has this grand unveiling of who he is as the Son of God, as the Word of God incarnate. And one of the guiding principles of the incarnation, and specifically Epiphany season, 
is that Jesus makes himself known to us through his actions. Whether whether we see him learning as a boy, or turning water into wine, or his transfiguration, the moments in the Epiphany season reveal equally his true human nature and his true divine nature. The moment of transfiguration illuminates all he has said and done. It's like this light that will shine back throughout history and then forward into the future. The glory that Christ reveals on this mount backfills all of his prior work with divine weight, where all he has said and done up to this point now gets glorified and magnified with the knowledge that this is the word of God himself. This is not a mere mortal. This moment magnifies and confirms the identity of Jesus as the Son of God, the Word of the Father. This moment of transfiguration also prepares, encourages, and glorifies the three apostles that bear witness to it. And this effect continues today. Christ revealing himself as the Word incarnate encourages his people towards perseverance even unto death on the cross. The first facet of encouragement comes as the type of Sabbath rest. Jesus, Peter, James, and John are ascending the mountain after six days. This is not an extraneous detail. We're supposed to see that they're going to spend their seventh day on the mountain in the presence of God. It's intentional. This is what the Sabbath rest entails. That Sabbath rest means you go before God's face in God's house and you delight in his presence and rest from your own works. The six days of work are met with a holy day of participating in God's rest. And as Jesus preached time and again to the Pharisees, that Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath is a gift to us from God. God himself takes Sabbath at the end of the creation week. After six days on the seventh day, God rests from all his work. And so rest is actually a way to participate in the life of God. It's to recognize that you have subsistence in the eternal God the Father. And it's in this time in which God visits us in a particular way. Again, the, the Garden of Eden becomes a reference point for this. That on the seventh day, God visits Adam and Eve in a, in a unique and personalized way. They can hear him in the garden coming to them. Just as on our Sabbath, on our Sunday, in our worship... Christ comes to us in a particular way through his word preached, his word sung, and his body and blood eaten. He actually comes to us uh, in in ways that are um, tangible. doesn't mean he's not present the rest of the week. It just means there's something particular and heightened on the Sabbath rest. And because we're partaking in the new creation, this is why our rest starts at the beginning of the week. Right, so the way history works is labor is done and expended and then rest comes in Christ and then from Christ onward you begin your life at rest and then work out of rest. You work out of your participation in Christ. The expectation has been met. Christ has come and now we have a new humanity that we participate in. There's a new Adam who's born on the eighth day, not the sixth day. And worship of God always occurs on mountains. The Garden of Eden itself was built on a mountain, on a mountainside. God draws near on mountains, whether it's Abraham offering Isaac, or Moses receiving the tablets of stone, or Jesus 
revealing his divinity to Peter, James, and John. This is why the temple was built on the mountain in Jerusalem, and it's actually built higher than the king's palace. You have to ascend out of the palace of the king to get to the temple in Jerusalem. We can see that when God draws near, he doesn't just condescend to us. It's not just that he comes down to us. It's that he brings us up as well. So he calls us up to him. He glorifies the saints. He calls us his sons and daughters. He adopts us. A true adoption. He actually makes you his children. You're no longer slaves and you're no longer enemies. That he actually brings you up into a different kind of relationship as he condescends to bring you there. Just as a father kneels down to lift up his child, so does God send his son to call us up into his presence. And we hear more clearly the sweet words of our Lord through this condescension and ascension. And this is encouragement that when we rest in God on Sundays, there's ways in which he speaks directly to us in a more clear way than the rest of the week. And that should anchor us and give us encouragement on how to work Monday through Saturday having been in his presence, having heard our Father talk to us, and having been fed by his body. He's giving us relief from his labor and and love to continue to labor. He's reminding us of all that he has accomplished for us and how good, loving, and glorious he is. Our hope is then rooted in the infinite love and power of God to save us. This is the benefit and the encouragement of regular, habitual rest and recollection of God. We have to have direct contact with these promises to actually embody the rest, right? You can't just have the abstract concept of like, yes, I believe that Jesus loves me and there's some kind of rest there. But you'll actually, you can actually taste and see that the Lord is good. Be like, he actually gives me what I need to survive, to live and breathe and have my being. And when we ascend into rest, we gain clarity not only of what God's done for us, but because we gain clarity of what he's done for us, we then gain clarity of who he is. When we ascend through the word, prayer, or worship, we are practicing being single-minded on our Father. C.S. Lewis talks about this in relation to liturgical worship, that the reason you learn, like you're not dancing when you're learning the steps, right? You have to, you're very self-conscious about the movements you're doing. But the benefit of having a set thing that you do time and again and again is that you learn it and you embody it so you don't have to think about the dance steps anymore and you focus on who you're dancing with. So there will be times and seasons as we're getting our liturgical life organized here that we're going to be clunky and we're going to feel awkward and we're going to forget parts. But as the years progress and we and we discipline our, our hearts and our minds and our souls to use these good things, we'll actually be able to focus more fully on who God is, focus on our dance partner, focus on our Father, who's inviting us into his life to participate with him. And this creates a kind of single-mindedness that now we're here, and this is what we're doing. This is all we're doing. We're going to leave our anxieties and our worries behind and rest in the Father's house. The disciples on the mount here have a similar single-mindedness. They've left their crowds behind. They're alone with Jesus on the mount. And this is when Jesus reveals a fuller view of his divinity to his disciples. They're coming in direct contact with the glory of God. Just as the high priest would come into direct contact in the temple. So the high priest on the Day of Atonement would be able to to progress all the way into the Holy of Holies. Just once a year. That was it. And just one guy could do it. 
If anybody else did it at the wrong time, they would die immediately because the glory of God is so potent. And so the disciples here are imitating the movement of the high priest into the Holy of Holies because they are following the true high priest. The temple is structured like a mountain. So even the temple is laid out horizontally. The horizontal movement is analogous to a vertical movement. That's why when uh, people refer to having a deeper experiences of the life of God, they call it going further up and further in. Or like uh, different visions of the heavenly dwelling place is going up and further into the mountains. Tolkien describes this in Leaf by Niggle, that as Niggle progresses into God's love, he goes further into the mountains. You go further up and further in. And so the temple is not just going east to west, it's going down to up. And so as, they, as, the, as the high priest would have gone deeper into the temple, he's also ascending into the heavenly realms. So this is what's happening for the disciples. Not only are they going up into the mountain, they're going in deeper into the heavenly realities, which is why they're given a clearer image of who Jesus is. They're actually able to see the divine glory. And this is a fearful place to be. To be in the presence of God as a human being with sin and imperfections is terrifying, which is why they fall on their face. The fuller view the disciples receive of God is aided by the presence of Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah point to Christ being the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. Moses as law, Elijah as prophets. The disciples are being given the interpretive principle to read the Old Testament with. That's like, you won't actually know what Moses and Elijah are saying if you're not reading them in the light of Jesus Christ. So if the body of Christ, his word, and his person is not, those aren't, if those aren't the glasses that you read the Bible with, you're going to get a bunch of stuff wrong. But you'll know what Moses and Elijah are saying if you first hear the word of God and then go back. So, so there's something shadowy for the people that lived prior to the incarnation, that they grasped at things dimly. And they, they, they didn't quite understand the fullness of the glory of God. And it's only in Christ that then the Old Testament can be kind of um, in, illuminated in a, in a meaningful way. And it's not because the Old Testament was devoid of promise or devoid of meaning or substance. Jesus is the Word, and therefore the Old Testament is written by Him. But the incarnation communicates and then, um, like I said, kind of flicks the lights on. So we knew there was some hard object in the corner, and then Jesus comes and we know, oh, that's a desk. I thought it was a bureau. The glory of this light and the splendor leads Peter to declare that they ought to build three tents or tabernacles atop the mountain. There's, There's such a sense of rest and peace and delight and wonder here that we should just stay here. We shouldn't leave this place. And this is an inherent response for us. When we have unique experiences of God's divine glory, or we feel like we're in a season where our our needs are being met, and we have joy and contentment, we're like, let's just keep everything the way it is right now. How can we freeze time and just forever live in a place where our bank accounts are all in the black, and everybody's healthy, and um, there's nothing wrong with the house. Let's just stay here as long as possible. That's That's a legitimate response. Or we want to then repeat those experiences. We're like, maybe that's the thing. And so how can I find ways to get back to it? But Peter isn't supposed to build tents on this mountain. 
Because Jesus himself is the mountain. Jesus is the temple now. Jesus is the temple that must die and resurrect so that he can make more temples throughout the earth. If you build a tabernacle here, you have frozen the ability to mature the kingdom of God. If you stop progressing, if you, if you refuse to embrace the crucifixion and resurrection, you will not embrace the fullness of God's life. But through, through the sending of the Holy Spirit, this is the significance of Pentecost, through the sending of the Holy Spirit, anyone that receives the Spirit through faith and baptism becomes a temple of God. The earth itself becomes the mountain. This is the vision in the prophet Daniel. That a rock rolls down, crushes the empires of the world, and a mountain consumes the earth. And that rock is Christ. So the earth is made into God's holy mountain, and it's cluttered with temples that are all the humans, all the people that God has made new creations. And another reason they're not to stay on the mount with Moses and Elijah is that it would miss the point of the transfiguration. The point of the transfiguration is not to say, wicked, cool mountain, let's stay here forever. That's not the purpose of the transfiguration. It's a moment of refreshment. It's a moment of rest in, in context of a sequence of greater things. We already saw how this occurs on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to have Sabbaths all week long. That would miss the point of the Sabbath. It's to refresh you, to encourage you for the work to come. There is still Christ to be preached. There is still death to be defeated. The transfiguration is not the destination. Rather, it's a source of encouragement for the work ahead. And that's why the transfiguration comes right after Jesus' foretelling of his crucifixion. He has just finished telling them, I'm going to die. I'll come back to life, but I'm going to die. And you're going to watch me die. And you then have to pick up your cross and follow me. The, the thing I do dying, you have to be willing to do that. That's what he's telling his disciples. And then he brings them on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's wicked important that we keep those two things connected. Jesus is revealing his divinity with a unique clarity in order to prepare the disciples to participate in his sufferings. That you're not just participating in the sufferings of some guy that you like a lot. You're participating in the sufferings of God himself. The transfiguration thus becomes akin to what the soldiers at the Battle of the Bulge communicated. So at, at the Battle of the Bulge, they didn't ask to be taken home. They didn't ask for reinforcements. They didn't ask for somebody else to come in and, and fight for them. They asked for more bullets. They said, send more ammunition. We have a job that we need to finish. And this is what the transfiguration is to be for us. This is Jesus bringing the three chief disciples into his divine glory so they would have the ammunition to fight the flesh and the devil. They're being given the sure knowledge of Christ's divinity to encourage their perseverance, not to give them an escape hatch. The transfiguration has significant implications for our life with Christ. Our perspective on hardship and suffering should be that akin to the battle of the bulge. We should not stake our hope on the hardship passing. Not, hey, I know this is hard, but guess what? You know, stuff goes away eventually, right? Maybe it won't. Maybe you'll actually have a thorn in your side till you die, like Paul. Don't put your hope on the situation changing. Don't put your hope on circumstances coming out in your favor. Rather, our suffering and circumstances should be perceived as gifts. This is a gift to you. 
If you are sick, this is a gift. It's a gift in hopes that you would be changed and that we would be transfigured. So when the winters run long and cold or when loneliness creeps in or when the fears of the future lurk at the door, don't ask, change it wicked fast. Say, send more bullets, God. Don't ask to leave the fight. The more bullets may look like brothers and sisters in Christ coming along to encourage you. The bullets may be psalms and prayers coming to mind to remind you of God's goodness and the sufferings Christ himself endured on your behalf. The bullets may be partaking of communion or confessing your sins. Our Lord desires to send encouragement. He desires to grow us in fortitude, faithfulness, and joyful labor. But he desires also to grow us up to mature us, to not leave us in weakness, but to discipline our souls, to prepare ourselves to go further up and further into his holy mountains. Not only is the sight of Christ encouragement to the disciples, but so is the voice of the Father. The baptismal affirmation of Jesus is confirmed at the transfiguration, and the Father once again declares, Behold, this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The voice of the Father is not initially a source of encouragement. And at first, they are horrified and they fall to their faces. Much like Moses is afraid when God speaks to him through the burning bush. The similarities with Moses continue. That the only way that Moses is able to behold a glimpse of God's glory is by being hid in the cleft of a rock. And then the backside of God's glory passes before him. The disciples were able to lift their eyes only after the rock of Christ exhorted them to not be afraid. They are hid with Christ. And the beloved son fulfills his duty by mediating between the father and his disciples. Right? Father says, behold, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Disciples are afraid. The son intercedes and says, don't be afraid. Rise. He does his job. He's, the father is pleased with the son because in that moment even, he's doing his job of comforting and encouraging the sons of God. The word of the glorious son is able to dispel fear. This is the effectiveness of Jesus as mediator. Our union with Christ enables us to move from fear and terror of the father to being able to call him our father. The transfiguration continues to be a source of encouragement, not just for our present need of approaching the Father, but also for our eternal hope of having a Father that is perfect, that has a home for us, that's returning to care for all of his children. Our eternal hope is that we'll be able to behold God face to face in the resurrection from the dead. Our hope is that we'll be able to live in the direct glory of God when he returns to unite heaven and earth. And this is made possible only by the incarnation of the Word of God. We'll be able to stand before the Lord on the last day because Jesus is standing with us in our new humanity saying, Rise, don't be afraid. This gives us encouragement that if we abide in faith, we will behold an even greater display of God's glory than the disciples saw on the transfiguration. And if the transfiguration is such a rich source of encouragement and testimony for the Christians, why did the disciples then have to wait? Right? Jesus says, now don't tell anybody what you saw here until I've come back from the dead. So why do they have to wait if this is such a powerful moment, if this is so potent? First and foremost, we have to keep in mind this parallel with Moses. Moses keeps a veil over his face. 
He does not let the glory of God reflect continuously. There's something fearful about it to the Israelites. They're not prepared for it. So similarly, the disciples have to mask, have to veil the glory that they're reflecting of God until the resurrection. They've seen a preview of the ineffable glory of God, the indescribable light of the divine. We have a sense of the mysterious beauty that they were subjected to when we read parts of Ezekiel or Revelation where we see these little windows into the heavenly places. There are mysterious scenes described of the heavenly realms that we can only grasp at and not fully comprehend. And secondly, the testimony of the transfiguration would be pearls before swine. At this point, the deceiver of death, Satan, has not had his head crushed yet. He has not been bound. So the resurrection is the thing that seals a new humanity that can receive what the disciples have received. So there's, there's a way in which the deception of Satan is, would inhibit the pearls to be received by the old Adams. Before the resurrection, humanity could not directly participate in God. Like we had heard from the high priest, one guy once a year could get close. You needed resurrection. You needed a new humanity to be a part of in order to taste and see that the Lord is good. First hand. The transfiguration is a shining beacon of hope, not only for the disciples, but for us. It demonstrates how freely the father encourages his children through his son. The father is not stingy with his gifts. He desires us to grow in maturity and holiness. And good earthly father, likewise, will give his son an increasingly hard jobs. Right? First picking up his room, then mowing the lawn, to shoveling snow, and splitting firewood. All for the sake of growing them in the, into manhood. They don't take the work away if their son is tired, or if he's struggling, or if he doesn't feel like it. They provide encouragement. They teach him, this is how you do this better. This is how you do this more efficiently. They can provide them with the tools to accomplish the job. And they imitate how the work should be done. They provide a pattern of faithfulness for their sons. Just as we're being called to pick up our cross and follow Christ. And he encourages us by showing the glory of Christ that gives us life. We hear the Father say that Jesus is his beloved Son. And thus we know that he is a sure object of faith. He is trustworthy. That, the Father in heaven said that guy is worth trusting. That is his son. That's, that's an unbreakable bond. That's an eternal bond between father and son. And we're encouraged to cling tight to that rock. The rock that enables us to stand before the glory of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Uh, Ryan, do you mind coming around to collect uh, tithes and offerings? And we'll, when he's finished, we'll sing the Gloria Patria.
the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Our God is a God who hears and answers prayer. Let us bring our petitions and thanksgiving to him in Christ's name for the peace of the world, for the welfare of the Holy Church of God, for the unity of all people, especially the church in Maine. Lord, in your mercy, for our president, our governor, for the leaders of the state of Maine, the nation and for all in authority, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, in your mercy, for the good earth which God has given us, for the wisdom and will to conserve it, for food and shelter, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, in your mercy, for the aged and infirm, for the widowed and orphans, for the sick and the suffering, for those who are lonely, for those in bondage to addiction, for all who are confused and lost, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, in your mercy, for the poor and the oppressed, for the unemployed and the destitute, for prisoners and captives, especially for persecuted Christians living in fear or threat of danger, for all who remember and care for them, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, in your mercy, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. It is very meet, right, and our bounden duty, that we should at all times and in all places give thanks unto thee, O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty, Everlasting God. Holy, 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 Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Let us pray. We do not presume to come to this your table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your abundant and great mercies. We are not so worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you who are the same Lord, whose character is always to have mercy, grant us therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, 
that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body, and our souls washed through his most precious blood, that we may evermore dwell in him, and he in us. Amen. All glory be to thee, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who of thy tender mercy did gives thy only Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption, who made there by this one oblation of himself once offered a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world, and did institute in his holy gospel command us to continue a perpetual memory of what his precious death and sacrifice until his coming again. Hear us, O merciful Father, we must humbly beseech thee and grant that we receiving these thy creatures of bread and wine according to thy Son, our Savior Jesus Christ's holy institution, in remembrance of his death and passion, may be partakers of his most blessed body and blood, who in the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after the supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all this, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many, for the remission of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Amen. The body of our Lord, Jesus Christ, which was given for thee, preserve thy body and soul unto everlasting life. Take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for thee, and feed on him in your heart. With thanks in him. Preserve thy body and soul unto everlasting life. Drink this, and remember that Christ's blood was shed for thee, and be thankful.
Stand and sing number 311, Hail to the Lord's Anointed. Number 311. Before him on the mountain 
Father, we, thy humble servants, earnestly desire thy fatherly goodness, mercifully to accept this our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, most humbly beseeching thee to grant that by the merits and death of thy Son, Jesus Christ, and through faith in his blood, we and all thy whole church may obtain remission of our sins and all other benefits of his passion. And here we offer and present unto thee, O Lord, ourselves, our souls and bodies, to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice unto thee humbly beseeching thee that we and all partakers of the Holy Communion may be filled with thy grace and heavenly benediction and be made one body with him that he may dwell in us and we in him. And, through we are un- and though we are unworthy through our manifold sins to offer unto thee any sacrifice, yet we beseech thee to accept this our bounden duty and service, not weighing our merits, but pardoning our offenses through Jesus Christ our Lord, by whom and with whom in the unity of the Holy Ghost all honor and glory be unto thee, O Father Almighty, world without end. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and lift his countenance up to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Well, the kids.